I got to tell you, I wish I had more time to actually go over this on Friday, but I'm kind of glad that we didn't get a chance to go over it on Friday because now we get to go over it at length today. Uh, Tucker Carlson basically slit the proverbial throats of several campaigns, including our former governor, Mike Pence, the former vice president. Uh, His campaign is in big, big trouble. I mean, it always was a long shot. I didn't expect Pence to win the state of Indiana, let alone be competitive in this thing, but he killed his own campaign. I'm going to have an opportunity to go into it. We're going to replay that audio in case you did not hear it. If you did hear it, uh, whether it was on this show, we had to cut it a little bit short. And no, the full clip does not make it better. It, It doesn't. You know, for those of you who only saw the little bit of the audio or the video and you're like, well, I was taken out of context. The full clip makes it worse. It doesn't make it better. The full interview was bad. Pence did awfully. Um, it, and, you know, again, it's it's one of those things I think is just kind of important to point out. It, it the, the old Republican Party is dead. And that is most likely a very good thing. And hopefully... As things go forward, because they're desperately trying to regain control of the party, but hopefully going forward, people are able to stave that off. The problem is the Democrats are already dead. They've been dead for some time, and that's a bad thing because Democrats historically um, weren't communists, but the party is now, and that's the sad part. But we'll get into all of this here in a couple of minutes. There's a lot to get to today. Um, I've actually seen a couple of people today. Oh, it's a slow news day today. Not really. I mean, some of it's left over from last week, but it really isn't a slow news day. Uh, if you're paying attention, if you're digging to the ground, there really isn't a slow news day anymore. It's it's pretty much all busy all the time. I want to thank R&B Car Company locations in South Bend, Warsaw, Columbia City. R&B Car Company are your used car experts. Make sure you uh, follow them online at rbcarcompany.com. Make sure you watch the live show. If you're online, you prefer to watch the video portion of this program. We're on Rumble, rumble.com slash Casey the host. Hit that subscribe button if you're there. Hit the thumbs up button if you're watching and you've already subscribed. I'd appreciate it. Would you do me a favor and cue up my audio, please, Amelia? I want to replay the audio clip that likely ended Pence's political career. And again, you need to understand that the, the full clip, and I, there's a bunch of people on social media when this clip started going viral there's a bunch of people on social media really well what's the context around all of this because again people like generally like mike pence and even if they're not going to be rooting for him they don't want they don't want to dislike mike pence and mike pence is one of the nicest people i've ever met in politics yes politicians do tend to be nice but most of them come off as very disingenuous and slimy mike pence is a genuinely nice human being you've heard me say that many times over the years on this show in spite of my disagreements with him he's genuinely a nice guy Uh, he is somebody that i think your life would be greatly improved if he were a friend of yours i think most of you could probably talk to pat miller at wowo about that they are friends and mike pence is a good person mike pence is family good people but the time of the mike pence style republican is over And that is most likely a very good thing for the country and for the base of the party. Like I said, they're fighting tooth and nail to change that. But and I'm not I'm not even necessarily saying that a more Trump mindset is the way to go. It's an improvement. There's no doubt that it's an improvement. 
the most likely best place to land is somewhere in between the old guard and, and a Trump. Um, Trump has been great. <clears throat> He's been wonderful. But there are some things that he, he certainly lacks in conviction that need to be cleaned up, need to be fixed. There's no doubt about that. I think anybody who's honest with themselves about Trump's performance would be able to admit that. So we need to find something between what was old and something between what we, we kind of saw with Trump going forward. I'm not saying this election, but going forward on where the party platforms are going to be. So I want to play you this this audio because Pence is out there saying, no, this is out of context, and he's accusing people of spreading fake news and all of that stuff. I, I'll be honest, the full clip is worse. The full clip is worse. I, I can't play it for you. I'm not going to go play the entire interview with you, but go listen to the whole interview with Tucker Carlson and Mike Pence. It was bad from the start. There's just there are positive moments. Don't get me wrong. Pence wasn't all bad, but I mean the whole the whole interview. Minus a couple of, of bright spots, really bad. And is completely out of step with the country, completely out of step with the base of the party, certainly out of step with conservatism. And Mike Pence didn't didn't do himself or the old guard any favors. Just didn't. And I know, you know, being in Indiana and there's gonna be a large chunk of resistance against that. Uh, okay. You know, you know, again, you you tune in here every single day. Because you want somebody who's going to be honest with you. My Pence ended his political career. He ended his political career not with just what he said, but how he said it and when he said it, even if he didn't mean what he said. It was a disaster all around. A seasoned professional like Mike Pence never should have made that mistake. Um, Mike Pence, frankly, even though it doesn't sound like it, Mike Pence let his temper control what he said. And as a result, he killed his political career. So here's the... Here's the clip that's kind of like, not the full clip, but the clip that kind of got viral and really has led down this path. So this is Mike Pence being interviewed by Tucker Carlson. You are are distressed that the Ukrainians don't have enough American tanks. Every city in the United States has become much worse over the past three years. Drive around. There's not one city that's gotten better in the United States. And it's visible. Our economy has degraded. The suicide rate has jumped. Public filth and disorder and crime have exponentially increased. And yet, your concern is that the Ukrainians, a country most people can't find on a map, who've received tens of billions of U.S. tax dollars, don't have enough tanks. I think it's a fair question to ask, like, where's the concern for the United States in that? Well, it's not my concern. Okay. There's a little bit more to this. So for anybody out there, oh, you're cutting it off right away. You're cutting it. There's a little bit more to this that I will play, but I need to pause it there. That's the clip that went viral. Throughout the whole time that Tucker is setting up the question, Mike Pence is like, yeah, yeah, mm, yeah. Just dismissing the whole thing, looking at the audience, kind of upset that Tucker Carlson was asking the question, kind of upset that Tucker Carlson was pushing back, upset that Tucker Carlson was challenging him, and he knew what was happening there. He was looking very bad. He knew it. He knew he was looking bad there. Now, Pence has not minced words at all about Ukraine. He's been pretty straightforward about it. If you don't support a full and a full throttle, not full throttle, full throated effort by the United States to fight Russia in Ukraine, you aren't a Republican. You aren't a conservative. That is Pence's position, which is an asinine position, but that's his position. 
He's dismissing all of that that Tucker Carlson was just saying there. And he's just like, why wouldn't he shut up? I need to answer. I need to answer. I need to answer. And then he's like, it's not my concern because he was upset. Now, he hides his emotions fairly well, but he was upset. So that's where the clip originally cut off. And people were like, well, what was the context around it? I actually posted the transcript of what happened right after that. And I started getting personal messages from people going, when you post that transcript, I knew it was way worse than what they were even telling us. They're clearly not being manipulated. So you can go, that's not my concern because we have other other things to discuss too. But first of all, that's not my concern. It should never come out of a candidate's mouth. Right after talking about cities and the decline of cities, the violence, the economy, all of it. He's like, yep, 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 yep. And he's admitting, I mean, whether you just want to say he was just, you know, using verbal cues or whatever. But Pence throughout the whole process, when, when Tucker Carlson says, all across the country, like without fail, cities are worse now than they were. And Pence goes, yeah. And then he says, not my concern. So let's just say for the sake of argument, some of you out there just want to have faith in Mike Pence. From a political standpoint, whether he meant to say that that stuff wasn't his concern at all and that he really wanted to talk about Ukraine, whether you think he meant it or not, that sentence should not come out of his mouth ever, let alone right after that line of questioning. Because optically, it looks very, very bad. And it will be used against him for the remainder of this campaign until he does the right thing and he bows out and he goes into some think tank position or something like that where Mike Pence can do very good work. The moment he said, that's not my concern, he killed his campaign. Whether he meant it that way or not isn't relevant. I believe he meant it. But I want to play you just a, a, about, I don't know, 40 more seconds, okay? Just so you understand the context around this, we left off with Pence going, that's not my concern. Tucker, I've heard that routine from you before, but that's not my concern. So now he, I've heard you say that stuff before, but that's not my concern. So he said it twice, twice, okay? When he says that's not my concern, he's saying the border wall, bail reform, fentanyl, the economy, violence in cities, that's not my concern. He said it twice. He didn't say it once and screw up. He said it twice. Then he continues. I'm running for president of the United States because I think this country's in a lot of trouble. Okay. So if you think the country's in a lot of trouble, shouldn't all of the things that were just mentioned be your concern? Why is Ukraine more of a concern than all of the things domestically? This is the thing that the base of the party keeps trying to tell the old guard here. We understand what's happening in Ukraine. We get it. Most people are rooting for Ukraine to remain independent. The vast majority, of, even people who don't want to be giving Ukraine a blank check. But there has to come a time. And the Democrats used to say this. There has to come a time where we say, all right, the rest of the world will help you in what ways we can. But we're not going to be we're not going to be the ones footing the bill anymore because we got problems at home. OK, a couple more seconds here. 
I think Joe Biden has weakened America at home and abroad. Yeah. And as president of the United States, we're going to restore law and order in our cities. We're going to secure our border. We're going to get now this economy moving again. And we're going to make sure that we have men and women on our courts at every level that will stand for the right he just, to life. He just went back into a campaign speech. All the God-given liberties and He didn't address anything that Tucker brought up. Anybody that says that we can't be the leader of the free world and solve our problems at home has a pretty small view of the greatest nation on earth. Okay, now, let me let me ask you this question. Because he got he got stumped. None of the stuff is my concern. Then he goes right into the campaign speech where he just said everything he just said twice wasn't his concern, was his concern. And then he goes, if you think we can't do both, then you have a pretty low view of America. Okay, here, here's, the, here's the problem with that. We have been sold that promise for decades now, and it's never happened. That's the problem. People, when Mike Pence was in Congress, said the same thing, only it never, it never materialized. The money that we're sending to Ukraine, how could that be used to help Americans at home? Could be used by a lot. Then you have the debt, deficits, all of that. And he's not concerned with any of it because, again, it's not his concern. I'm not done with this yet because there's a lot more to all of this, actually, that we'll have to cover. I'm just a little bit late. We've got more coming up 95.3 MNC in the all new MNC Nation. I think I told you not that long ago, we got a letter from a listener who started going to Southwest Vision Center a couple years back because they heard them heard about them on this radio station. They've always had a really good experience with them. And then they started to notice that, you know, some things were changing. And, well, Southwest Vision Center decided to go ahead and test them for dry eye syndrome. Turns out that they had dry eye syndrome and they started the treatment over there. And to quote this listener, they gave me my vision back. And as somebody who had dry eye syndrome, has dry eye syndrome, I can personally attest to the care at Southwest Vision Center completely being a game changer with that. You see better at night. Uh, you feel better. Your eyes aren't always burning. You can't get to, you're not getting to a point where your eyes are just basically closed because they burn too much to open throughout the day. Southwest Vision Center did that for me. They've done wonders for my family, my kids. They've been great. Um, this is where our, our whole family goes, and we've been going there for years. We love them over at Southwest Vision Center, and I would like to encourage you, if you're looking for an eye doctor, to go there yourself. Go to SWVisionCenter.com, SWVisionCenter.com. Schedule an appointment today. Let them know that I sent you. My listeners do get discounts over there. So, Tucker Carlson, effectively, I shouldn't say that he killed Pence's campaign. Pence killed Pence's campaign because he just... The way that he responded wasn't correct. Um, he, he messed up. It was an amateur-like mistake. And then he went into the talking points. And when you start saying that, you know, we can do both, we can do both. Yeah, technically we can. The problem is, is that we never have. And so people aren't going to buy that. It, it comes off as a very old and obsolete statement to go, we're America, we can do both. Okay, but we never have. You've been making this promise for how long now? And it's just never been done. You know, we can we can do taxes and we can do the border. We can do foreign policy and we can do the border. We can do this and we can take care of the homeless. But we just never we just never do. And that just that's the problem is people are sick and tired of not actually having that happen. 
Now, beyond that, Asa Hutchinson, who never had a chance to win this thing anyway, um, he also made massive, massive mistakes. And we're going to have to play that soundbite. I don't have the time right now because it's just a little bit over the time that I have. So we'll do that on the other side of this thing. And then Tucker Carlson was given a speech at the uh, Turning Point uh, Action Conference. And, well, he kind of addressed some of this stuff. You know, and like I said, Pence is out there trying to say this is all taken out of context. I didn't mean it that way, whatever. It, and I don't believe that he meant that it's not his concern for the Americans. For the record, I, I don't believe that. But there's no doubt that Pence has been on on a major Ukraine kick uh, for several months. And that seems to be the focus of what comes out of his mouth when he's talking about things. And, you know, I, I, I think that it's perfectly fair to criticize that. Ukraine shouldn't get Abrams tanks. They shouldn't have gotten Leopard 2 tanks. And I understand why people want them to have them, but there is a broader strategy that has to be considered. And it wasn't considered, and now the Russians have Leopard 2 tanks. And so, uh, you know, a geopolitical rival that is generations behind us in tank technology is now going to be able to largely catch up. It's going to take some time for them to do that, but it should be concerning that that is now on the table. So there's a there's a lot that has to be unpacked here, but the the Asa Hutchinson thing just further illustrates the old guard is completely out of touch with you. We'll talk about that coming up in just a couple of minutes. MNC News time is three thirty one. Time to check out Impress Jewelry Creations, creating meaningful jewelry for the moments that last a lifetime. Casey Hendrickson. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I'm your host, Casey Hendrickson. Do want to um, go ahead and tell you about Nutrition HQ's all-new Torch system. So Torch is a new fat-burning program. And for guys, you can even add a testosterone booster to it as well. But uh, Torch is for men and women. And this is a uh, proprietary blend. This stuff is fantastic. I, I feel great on it. Definitely gives me a good amount of energy through the day. Usually it kicks in about a half hour or so after I take it. You're supposed to take it with food, um, but it, the reviews on this thing from people who've been taking it long term have been stellar. So I, I've just started it. I'm on the program now, and if you are interested in getting on it as well, you can go to Nutrition HQ at 5804 Grape Road in Mishawaka. You let them know that I sent you. You get a discount on Torch and every other thing that they have in that store. Nutrition HQ, 5804 Grape Road in Mishawaka. Cue my audio, please, Amelia. It wasn't just Mike Pence who struggled with Tucker Carlson, Asa Hutchinson, who nobody ever expected would be competitive. I mean, he's basically at this point, the only reason he's getting airtime is because he shows up at these things. Nobody's taking him seriously. The guy had six people at an event the other day. Like Nobody's, I'm not exaggerating, it was like six people. Like Nobody's going to his events. Nobody cares about Asa Hutchinson. He's delusional. But the reason I'm playing this clip isn't because... This is the end of Asa Hutchinson. That happened a long time ago. The reason I'm playing this clip is because Asa Hutchinson has said exactly what I keep hearing a lot of, for lack of better terminology, I'm referring to them as the old guard, but really a lot of the old guard isn't even in this camp. So just understand that there's, we'll call it a tired old mentality in the Republican Party. I've heard this repeated locally. I've heard this repeated nationally from other Republicans. Asa Hutchinson is not at all out of step with, you know, 
old world thinking in the Republican Party that is completely clueless about, one, their base, two, what's happening in the country right now. So I want you to listen to this. This is a bit longer. It's about two and a half minutes. Asa Hutchinson says some stuff. Tucker Carlson pushes back on it, and then Asa kills himself. Figuratively, of course, and politically. Have a listen. Well, I guess I got to refresh the page first. Nothing's going to work today. Like, brand new stuff added to the stream worked perfectly last night. Two things have failed today. All right, here we go. In face. And I believe in a limited role of government. And so, you know, if California ought to be able to tell parents, you need to have gender affirming care for the children. The government should not do that. And in the same way, let's keep the government out of it unless it's that extreme case, and let's let parents guide the children. I stand with parents. So, and, and, and amen for standing with parents, and I think everyone in the room would agree with that. Um, but the reason I asked the question was not to bring up a sore subject, which I, I know that it is, uh, but <laughs> to ask if in the subsequent two years, you, you had said that you drew the line at castration of, of physical altercation of a child's body because it's permanent. But in the subsequent two years, I think we've learned that hormone therapy for prepubescent children is permanent. It changes the bone structure. It changes the brain of the child. It, a lot of people believe, including me, that it, it destroys the child's life. But it is permanent. It's not reversible. So given that and the standard you just articulated, do you have different feelings? I mean, this is a permanent change we are making to a child. Why would we allow that if we don't allow surgery? Well, you, permanent change is one issue, but also hormonal treatment is a different issue and can be a different issue. Okay. Again, we're only about halfway through this clip. Tucker Carlson just pointed out the crystal clear fact. Previously, Hutchinson had said, I draw the line at surgery because it's permanent. It permanently alters the body. And Tucker just pointed out, well, we now know that hormone, hormonal treatments permanently alters the body, so why is there a difference? And then Asa comes back, well, you know, they're different. <laughs> That's the point. They're not. They're really not. Anyway, it continues. And whenever you look at the bill that I vetoed, there was not any grandfather clause in there. Again, uh, I respect legislators that have a different view, but I think independently, I think of the parents, I think of the Constitution, and actually the court, if you read the decision of the federal judge that struck it down as unconstitutional, really sided with parents as well. But how is, it, whenever... treat, but how is it treatment? I guess that's my question. If you have a child who says, was born a boy, I want to become a girl, he hasn't gone through puberty yet, he's say 10. Is it treatment to prevent him from going through the natural process of adolescence? How is that treatment? It, it seems not like treatment. It seems like something else. Well, you have to... Tucker, I hope that we'll be able to talk about some issues. I know that... Well, this is can... one of the biggest issues in the country, and I think I would every person in this room would agree that... It is a, a central issue because it, these are children who are being altered permanently, and you can defend that alteration, that change, if you like, but there's really no debate about whether or not it's permanent. And so I think it's fair to ask you in a calm, rational, and I very much hope polite way why you would support that. And he did ask him in a very calm, polite, and rational way. And Asa Hutchinson couldn't answer. 
I mean, he, he literally went through the fact, the now known undisputable fact that when you do puberty blockers, when you do hormone therapy on young people, it physically permanently alters their body. In many cases, if they don't go beyond and they don't go to the surgical level, they're sterile. And he's calling out, he's like, look, previously, you, Mr. Hutchinson, you said that you drew the line in anything that was a permanent, a permanent issue. You're permanently altering the body. Well, we know that this now permanently alters the body. So, again, have you have you adjusted your position on that? Because we now know that puberty blockers permanently alter the body going forward. And he said, well, surgery is one thing and hormone therapy is another. No, we literally just got done with the science of this, which is settled now, which they tried to tell you is a conspiracy theory for a while, but it is settled. When you do this hormone therapy, you're permanently altering the body. Period. There's no going back. You can try. You can get close. But there's always going to be damage because of it. And he just refused to answer it. And so we get to a point where it's like, you know, hey, uh, you're not really giving consistent answers here. Well, Tucker, I hope we're going to start talking about some real issues this is, as Tucker pointed out, probably the most important issue in the country right now. And so if you're going to be, and the reason I'm bringing this up, yeah, Asa Hutchinson is never a contender. Pence probably wasn't a contender. The reason I'm bringing it up is you've got two guys in Pence and Hutchinson who've been around for a long time who are completely out of touch with the base of the party. They're completely out of touch in the direction of the party. They're completely out of touch with conservatives. They're out of touch with moderates. They're out of touch with the country as a whole. They're defaulting back to policies and talking points that frankly are 10, 15, 20 years old. And they're looking at people like Tucker who's dialed into what you're thinking and they are perplexed that he dares challenge them on these basic fundamental issues. They're coming for your kids and people want you to fight for your children, fight for their children. Yes, it's important to, I, you know, Look at the situation in Ukraine. Maybe support it to an extent, but we can't abandon what's happening here. We can't throw all of our eggs in that basket. We can't diminish our national defense helping Ukraine, which we have done. We need to be able to take care of home. Whatever anybody else outside of our home gets, that must come later. And if we have the resources, we have the resources. Or if we can help in another way, we can help in another way. But you don't, you don't throw munitions at Ukraine to the detriment of your own stockpile, which we have done. You don't throw billions and billions at Ukraine to the detriment of your own economy, which we have done. Well, Europe basically doesn't do anything. That's the point that's being made. And they're trying to make the point that, well, you're either for Ukraine or you're for Putin, which is a stupid, silly argument that feeble-minded idiots say. Um, but unfortunately, Pence has been making that case. And he tried to make that case with Tucker Carlson, and it didn't work for him. So I think for the first time, Pence might start to understand this This isn't this isn't the beltway. Asa Hutchinson is delusional, so he probably still doesn't understand what's going on. He's probably still sitting there going, I don't know why we didn't talk about any real issues. They did, of course, but but this is a central point. A central point. You're out here fighting for your kids in schools, 
You're fighting for your kids in school board meetings. And what's the national and state Republican parties doing? Ignoring it. That's the truth. And so they're perplexed when they are presented with this as being a major national issue. What do you mean it's a major national issue? We should be talking about tax brackets and stuff like we always do. It doesn't work anymore. Got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel and the all-new MNC Nation. Good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel and the all-new MNC Nation. Don't forget, you can watch the show on Rumble. Go to rumble.com slash Casey, the host. Uh, it's poking around in a couple of other places as well, though Rumble is our main home. All right. If you're looking for excellent coffee, espresso, cold drinks, hot drinks, doesn't really matter. Tacoa Coffee has opened a cafe. That's right. The best coffee in the area that many of you know and love now has a cafe, but there's a twist to this. Not only do you get great local coffee with great customer service, but Tacoa Coffee is invested in our community, and they have hired several individuals with varying levels of disabilities. They're in the Corvilla building, which is just across from Target on University Drive in Granger. So you look at the Corvilla building, you walk in there, and Tacoa Coffee's cafe is actually inside to the left because they hire people with disabilities. They provide job training for people with disabilities, so that way they are able to go out and potentially get careers elsewhere in the community. It's a, it's a program that helps those with disabilities in our area. You know, people with disabilities in our community have an 85% unemployment rate. And it doesn't make any sense because they're capable of working. So if you go into the Corvilla building across from Target, and you walk in there and you go into the Tacoa Coffee Cafe, you're going to get amazing customer service. You're going to get a fantastic atmosphere. Yes, there's seating. People ask me that. You're going to get whatever exotic or um, high-end coffee drink that you would want, even if you just want to get a black coffee. You'll be able to get all of that, and you'll be helping those in our community who need your help. So it's a fantastic business, fantastic company, great product. Go to tacoacoffee.com to learn more. You can even set up for monthly subscriptions right to your house of your favorite coffee, including Casey's Burning Brew, by the way. So to just come right to your house, and you can also visit their coffee cafe, which, again, is on University Drive in Granger in the Corvilla building just across from Target. So if you're looking at the, the Target entrance, just turn around, look straight back, you'll see the Corvilla building. That's where you go. Let them know that I sent you, too, by the way. All right, before we go, cue my audio, please, one more time. Uh, this is Tucker Carlson at uh, Turning Point Action Conference. just want you to, to hear some of what he said in his speech following his interviews of the presidential candidates. And I don't want to attack anyone in pers- on personal grounds uh, or by name. It's tempting. I will say it's tempting. Whoever said do it, you're the devil on my shoulder. <laughs> do it! <laughs> I've spent my I've spent my whole life. <laughs> no, 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 no. But if I could make some general observations, which I think are more edifying than just like savaging Mike Pence, um, I, I think, <laughs> which I'm not going to do, because that would be wrong, and it would be wrong because it's too easy. And the easy things are not rewarding, are they? You don't feel good. When you beat your five-year-old in soccer or ping-pong, like what? 
But I did learn a couple of things. It was super, super interesting. The first thing, I guess I already knew it, and you know it already, that's why you're here, which is the spread between the things that Republicans in Washington, the people you vote for and put there, care about, like actually care about, you know, pretend to care about a lot of things, but the things that really touch them off, that matter to them, very different from the things that matter to the people who vote for them. And you kind of thought that would change, you know, because we did have an, a, an event several years ago where Republicans elected a guy basically on the promise to blow up the Republican Party, and you thought, you know, that would get their attention. If your wife runs off with the pool boy, it's like time to reassess your skills as a husband. Like, you got to pause just for a moment and be like, yeah, it's bad, but maybe I contributed to her behavior. Most self-aware people, and I'm being serious, ask themselves that question. Like, how was I responsible for this bad thing that happened? But there's been literally none of that. It's been all blaming the pool boy in Washington. So I don't see that changing at all. Um, maybe it'll take a next election cycle to do that. But the second, more interesting thing I learned is that almost everybody, not everybody, but almost everybody in elected office in the Republican Party has internalized the other side's rules for debate. He went on to name Pence specifically. Um, this is a good speech. It's, it's you know, it's over 45 minutes. I would encourage you to go watch it. Well, 43 minutes. I would encourage you to go watch it. There's a lot of information in there instead of just him, like, talking about stuff. And I think it, I think it would be very enlightening for a lot of people, particularly those in politics. More coming up. Forty years and eighty thousand families trust your home to the B. Casey Hendrickson. Good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel and the all-new MNC Nation. I'm your host, Casey Hendrickson. You can follow me on your favorite social network at Casey the Host. You can also watch the live stream today if you choose to, rumble.com slash Casey the Host. Hit the subscribe button if you're new to the channel. Hit the thumbs up button if you're watching today. I would appreciate that. Hang out with the live chat. They're uh, mostly a decent group of people. <laughs> They're definitely fun. There's no doubt about that. All right, I got an update on the Ben and Jerry's fiasco. So Ben and Jerry's, on the 4th of July, they put out this tweet, and they say that, um, hey, the U.S. exists on stolen indigenous land. We must commit to returning it. Now, that's what they did on, on the 4th of July. Now, I cracked the microphone the day after, and I'm like, I have money that they're on indigenous land. I said, I wonder if they would give that land back. It was, I think, that night, maybe the following day, a Native American tribe who traces their lineage to exactly where Ben & Jerry's Ice Cream headquarters is says, hey, thank you for the sentiment on returning Native land. Give us your land now. <laughs> and, of course, Ben & Jerry's, being the pasty white liberals that they are, kept their mouths shut and haven't returned the land because, again, liberals can never play by their own rules. Well, now, it's gotten worse because the tribes themselves... Further proving my point. I've been saying this for years. I'm pleased that a bunch of other people are now finally saying this. Because people avoided this conversation for a long time. I don't know why. It's the same thing in Israel. It's the same thing here. Which tribe does it go back to? Is it a tribe who had it last before the, 
the white man took it? Or was it the tribe that that tribe took it from? Or was it the tribe that that tribe that that tribe took it from? Who who gets the land? Is it the oldest known group of people that settled on that land or the last known group of people who settled on that land before you know westerners came along and conquered it and they can never answer that question nobody who you have a conversation with about this can ever answer that question so that's always been a point it's like all right well if we're going to take ben and jerry's land back you know does it go back to this tribe who first said thank you give us our land back or the tribe that that tribe took it from and so you actually have a squabble now between more than one Native American tribe who wants Ben and Jerry's land. I, for one, think this is absolutely hysterical. So this is not the B. Indigenous tribes fight over who should get compensation from Ben and Jerry's. (laughs) Uh, Chief Rick Obamsawan of the Quebec-based... Abenaki Bank Council of Odanik told the Post, the New York Post, that if Ben and Jerry's plans to return land to indigenous tribes, it should be his tribe that receives it. This is my territory, the Canada-based chief told the Post on Friday. The territory that they're speaking of is actually my people's territory. That territory is our homeland. Now, his comments came in response to recent claims put forth by a Vermont-based tribe, a New Hegan band of the Kusuk Abenaki Nation, whose chief has said that it would be interested in seeing the return of their land. So now the tribes themselves, further proving the point, who gets the land? If you're going to give it back to Native Americans, that's fine, but which Native Americans, which Native Americans get it? Ben and Jerry's um, looking out uh, their corporate window right now, con- concerned about what's happening. There's funny graphics and things like that here. Uh, actually, this is really just a useful controversy. High-minded liberal white people like Ben and Jerry have very much convinced themselves that Native Americans are a kind of super race of noble, virtuous, good people elevated above the petty partisan snarling and snapping that marks the rest of humanity. And... Friendly reminder uh, for everybody out there, you know, Native Americans did pretty awful, horrible things to rival tribes. They did pretty awful, horrible things to white settlers as well. They did pretty awful, horrible things to slaves and indentured servants of those white settlers. Now, you can make the claim all you want that, well, that was because you were encroaching on their land, but that wasn't always the case. Oftentimes, that wasn't the case at all. There are several examples in our history of Native Americans launching attacks on settlers who were not settling on Native land simply because they believed they were going to. And maybe that would have happened, but it was a preemptive strike nonetheless. So this, it it doesn't make any sense. It's funny to watch this stuff play out because, of course, Ben and Jerry's is not going to be held accountable. Nobody on the left is going to try and hold Ben and Jerry's accountable. None of these people who will protest on behalf of Native Americans are actually going to go up to Ben and Jerry's and go, hey, listen, you need to move your your headquarters to a different area and you need to return this land because that's what you've been telling everybody to do. Leftists won't hold Ben and Jerry's accountable for this. They just won't do it. So it's hysterical. I think it's funny. It makes me laugh quite a bit. But ultimately, nothing is going to come from it. So we can have a we can have a good chuckle at the expense of Ben and Jerry's being stupid for the next couple of weeks. 
So Amelia was just doing a story. I, I ran into this over the weekend as well. I know that many of you saw this. Um, we've seen the gubernatorial candidates weigh in on it in the state of Indiana. Indiana is one of the 10 worst states to live and work in 2023. Now, here's why this is so funny. One, nobody actually believes this. And two, there are dozens of these lists that are put out throughout the year, every single year. And wouldn't you know it, Indiana is always in the top half. They're never in the bottom 10, Amelia. Never. I wonder who else is in the bottom 10, according to CNBC, because they're not crazy over at CNBC at all. They would never push a weird list on you that would advocate for, you know, dumb stuff. Let's take a look at um, let's take a look at this. A critical nationwide worker shortage has companies locating and expanding in places where workers want to live. But culture war politics are complicating the equation. Huh? Culture war politics are complicating the equation because, you know, people in Indiana don't want pedophiles around. That's that's really what we're talking about. CNBC's annual rankings of state business climate considers life, health, and inclusion as one of ten categories of competitiveness. Uh, okay. Does, now, let's listen. These are the key points of the article that were published at the very top of the article before we dive into it. So this is CNBC. There are three critical points. So far, so far, the top two points have nothing to do with living in the state of Indiana. None. They have little to do with working in the state of Indiana at all. Hoosiers don't want to go to work and have to worry about some crybaby snowflake ruining the culture at work. You know, the average Hoosier, if somebody brings in a dozen donuts, they're pleased that somebody brought in a dozen donuts. They don't have to worry about somebody crying about their gluten intolerance. The third key point of the article, the study measures quality of life issues, including crime. Okay, Indiana does fairly well there outside of Indianapolis and Gary. Health care. All right, Indiana lacks in health care. Child care and health care. Why are they saying health care, child care, and health care? Why are they why are they doubling up on on that? Well, Hoosiers are more likely to have stay-at-home moms than many other states. So that's being counted as a negative. If you stay at home, it's not because you chose to stay at home. According to CNBC, it's because you couldn't. You couldn't go to work. It's a barrier for you to go to work, according to CNBC. If you stay, if you stay home, if you have kids, there's an issue with childcare, folks. That's why. That's why moms aren't going into work in Indiana. It couldn't possibly be that you know they chose to stay at home and raise their own kids, so that I don't know. A pedophile or a pedo-adjacent ally doesn't raise their kid. That couldn't possibly be. What have we just had in this country? Have we or have we not had a parental revolt happening? Guess what? In Indiana, a lot of parents pulled their kids out of school to homeschool them. Why? Because of critical race theory, pornography, stupid COVID policies, school boards not adhering to the law, School boards not punishing superintendents who don't adhere to the law. School boards doing what public health officials who are clearly wrong about the science are telling them to do without questioning any of it. Why? Because they get grant money from the federal government. 
And so a lot of people chose to not work and stay home because it was clearly the best thing for their kids. Now, in places like California, you probably, I I shouldn't say you probably, because there are people who certainly do in California, but you're more likely to find people who don't care about their kid getting brainwashed at school because, frankly, they support it. Not so in most of the state of Indiana. With nearly twice as many job openings nationwide as there are workers available to fill them, companies are setting up shop where the workers are. Each year, as a part of our overall assessment of state business climate, CNBC's Top States for Business study considers how welcoming each state is to workers and their families. So let's look at the Top States for Business 2023 real quick. Let's just take a look at that, okay? The Top States for Business, all right? North Carolina. Okay, Virginia, Tennessee, Georgia, and Minnesota. That's what they're saying, all right? A couple of them I agree with, a couple of them, hmm, not so much. But anyway, I digress. Life, health, and inclusion is one of the study's 10 categories of competitiveness. What? So you can see right away why this, why this particular ranking is so different than the other rankings on here now when i go through the 10 worst states which indiana is on that list when i go through the 10 worst states i think you're going to understand why why it is that this list was even put out and it couldn't possibly be because of i don't know an election coming up couldn't possibly be couldn't possibly be that people are fleeing certain states and going to other states. I'm just just throwing it out there, okay? So we're going to go over that in detail coming up so you can actually see the 10 worst states. And then, then I have another list which kind of shatters the entire narrative on the CNBC list, aside from just common sense, looking at this and going, this is bullcrap. But there's another list that has actually been put out there that I think completely and totally destroys the narrative of the CNBC list. So, yeah, I know we're all talking about it. Indiana suddenly on the the 10 worst places to live and work thing, which nobody buys into. Nobody buys into that. There's a reason that Indiana is considered one of the best places to do business in the Midwest. And yet here's CNBC going, oh, it's one of the worst places to do business in the Midwest. Why? Because of inclusiveness and lack of child care, which keeps people from the workforce. Maybe they're not in the workforce because they don't want to be. And maybe it has nothing to do with the lack of child care. Maybe the lack of child care is due to demand being low. You ever think of that? It's a possibility, right? We'll talk about this more coming up. Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's news channel and the all-new MNC Nation. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I'm your host, Casey Hendrickson. I also want to thank the MNC Nation for tuning in. Uh, three radio stations tuning in today. You can also watch the live stream on Rumble, rumble.com slash Casey the host. Also on Kick and Twitch today as well. I got to tell you about Make-A-Wish. So Make-A-Wish Foundation, most of you are familiar with Make-A-Wish. They grant wishes for kids who receive a, a serious diagnosis. Uh, it does not have to be a terminal diagnosis, um, but a serious diagnosis. And so Make-A-Wish helps grant those wishes to, you know, it's, it's tough. You're going through a rough patch. You're, you're scared. You don't know what's going to happen to you. You don't know what's going to happen to your children. And, you know, there's always, it's always nice when you have that break where somebody's wish, somebody's dream can come true. 
They can meet somebody that they wanted. They can do something they've always wanted to do. It just takes the takes the pressure off of dealing with the illness. And that's what Make-A-Wish Foundation is all about. So on August 17th, Make-A-Wish is hosting an invitation-only fundraising event, which I'm inviting you to right now. And it's going to be the 2023 Wine Walk. Now, this will be at the Alcona Country Club in Bristol. Make-A-Wish is looking for community leaders and business owners for sponsorships and to learn more about the great work that they do for six children in northern Indiana. So please consider getting involved in attending the Wine Walk 2023. More information and reservation information to this event is available by texting the word WISH right now to 45364. Again, text the word WISH right now to 45364. Again, this is a fundraising event for the Make-A-Wish Foundation. So if you've been looking to get involved in a great local charity or the Make-A-Wish Foundation itself, this is a great opportunity for you to do so. Again, on August 17th. So text the word WISH right now to 45364. All right, so we're going over this list that CNBC put out, which is totally not politically motivated at all, of uh, America's 10 worst states to live and work in 2023. Now, this consistently, for many years, that I've, so I've been in the area 12 years, I think, there's always these lists, and they periodically come out. Sometimes they're about cities, sometimes they're about states. And Indiana is always considered in the top half of the country to live and work. Indiana itself is considered one of the top places for businesses to do business in the Midwest. I think there's a lot of room for improvement, but that has been a consistent thing going back to when I first got to town. Mitch Daniels was the governor. That has been very consistent since then. It is considered a top location for businesses to operate in the Midwest. So when CNBC comes out and says it's one of the worst places to live and work, that doesn't make sense. Why is every every other one, every other list that comes out every single year for multiple years, why does it have Indiana in the top half of the country? And then CNBC has us in the in the you know 10 worst. Well, let's take a look at the list of states that are the worst places to live and work. Number 10, Florida. Florida's one of the worst places to live and work. Florida? Really? Arkansas. Tennessee. Tennessee is one of the worst places to live and work, huh? Really? Tennessee. Then number seven is Indiana. Then you have Missouri. Then you have a tie for Alabama and South Carolina? South Carolina is one of the worst places to live and work in the United States. Really? Then you have Louisiana, maybe. Oklahoma, the number one worst state to live and work in America, according to CNBC. The worst state, folks, Texas. <laughs> so, <laughs> hold on a second. You have four of the fastest growing states in the country on this list. So the, pl- the places that everybody's moving to to escape blue dystopias. They're put on this as the worst places to live in where I wonder what. So we got Florida, you got South Carolina, you got Tennessee, and you got Texas. Yeah, forgive me if I don't really take CNBC's rankings seriously here. Let's take a look at the fastest growing states in 2023. 
Now, this is according to World Population Review. Texas is number three. Then you've got Florida at number eight. You got South Carolina at ten. Uh, I, I'm actually shocked that Tennessee isn't on that list because Tennessee is considered one of the fastest growing places in the country right now. They don't have enough real estate for the amount of people that are moving to Tennessee right now. So the places that everybody is moving to, the places that companies are packing up and relocating to, are all they all just happen to be the worst places to live and work in the country, according to CNBC? It's almost like there's a political agenda or something. Now, let's go through, I know that you can't see this, but it'll be in the Daily Show prep here. The images that are used in the CNBC article, okay, the images for Florida, stop woke signs with Ron DeSantis behind them, signing bills, banning pornography in the classroom. Then there's an, you know, Arkansas has got a picture of like a police car. Tennessee, it's got all of the pride festivals. Indiana's got a kid abusing their mother by pulling on her glasses because she's overwhelmed. Then in Missouri, keep the law away from our bodies, keep religion away from my uterus, protesters. Then for Alabama, no electioneering beyond this point. South Carolina has um, a, a black older woman doing her uh, her uh, diabetes test. She's pricking her finger. Louisiana's got a little kid. Uh, looks like uh, she's got a Mardi Gras mask on. Oklahoma shows a doctor. Texas has got a pride festival again. So they the, even the thumb the thumbnail images they used to describe the states were all about woke nonsense, folks. This should be a list of places you probably don't want to go if you're a liberal snowflake who is pedophile adjacent. Then maybe the list makes sense. Don't go to those states. But this is in no way a reflection of actual economics, actual labor and workforce, and certainly not politics. Got more coming up. Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. MNC News Time is 431. Time to check out Impress Jewelry Creations, creating meaningful jewelry for the moments that last a lifetime. Trust your home to the V. Casey Hendrickson. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel and the all-new MNC Nation. We're also broadcasting online, rumble.com slash Casey the Host. Also on Kick and Twitch at Casey the Host today as well. Okay, i uh, got to tell you about balance of nature. So if you're looking to add more fruits and vegetables to your diet, but meal planning is a bit of an issue, maybe just have gaps in your diet, whether that's time, whether that's because you don't like to cook, uh, whether that is simply because you don't care enough to go ahead and, and meal prep, that's okay. Balance of Nature is a proprietary blend of 31 real fruits and vegetables that are, again, real food that are flash frozen. They're then ground up, powderized, put into capsule form. So you take three of the greens, you, t- uh, you take three, three of the veggies, excuse me, you take three of the fruits, and you have your full daily recommended allotment of fruits and vegetables and all of the vitamins, minerals, and nutrients that come with that. Go to balanceofnature.com. You can place your first order and get 35% off. If you use promo code Laura today, again, balanceofnature.com, promo code Laura, save 35% on your first order. Uh, Cue my audio, please. 
Kamala Harris, who is, again, a bumbling idiot, but this is what she had to say at the end of last week. When we invest in clean energy and electric vehicles and reduce population, more of our children can breathe clean air and drink clean water. Population and reduce population and reduce population and reduce population and reduce population. No, it's me. I'm just. It's Monday. I want. I just want. Amelia thought I was having a glitch. No, I'm not having a glitch. Kamala Harris is saying the quiet part out loud. Okay. Now. It's Monday. I get it. I'm foggy. I think a lot of other people are foggy. I understand that. Maybe you didn't hear Kamala Harris admit that we need to reduce population. When we invest in clean energy and electric vehicles, which again, (laughs) what charges the electric vehicles, and reduce population, more of our children can breathe clean air and drink clean water. That's a... Amelia, how long have you been with me? On and off. about a year how many times have you heard me say it all comes back to reducing the number of people who live never Never? yeah like a lot okay never mind amelia amelia ignores me okay for those of you in the chat (laughs) or in the audience amelia is like doing her job or something and ignoring the show you've heard me say this a lot it's funny it always seems to come back to reducing the number of population The diet that they're pushing right now reduces fertility in men. I wonder why. I wonder why. The meds that they push for women, particularly young women, what is is one of the major side effects? Reduces fertility. The diet that they push for everybody reduces fertility. We end up getting medications, vaccinations, things like that that are proven to do what? Reduce fertility. Everything comes back. Everything comes back to a lower number of people. Even going into pushing people into the workforce, okay, like the CNBC article that we just got done talking about. Well, there's all these, like, stay-at-home moms and stuff like that in Indiana, but they're only staying at home because, you know, there's not a not enough child care to go around, so that that's a barrier to getting into the workforce. Maybe they want to be at home. Maybe there is no barrier. Maybe there's a lack of demand for those services because women are staying home in the state of Indiana. But everything that they're doing, they're pushing young, fertile women into the workforce. Where young, fertile women are focusing on what? Careers. And then only choosing to settle down and start families once they have a dramatically reduced... And, you know, Choose what you want for your life, but there's no doubt, this is a scientific fact, that when you do that, more women in the United States are choosing to start families much later when their chances of conceiving and caring to term are reduced or there's more complications can it be done sure are we having a lot less children than we used to yeah we are i wonder if that's maybe by design you know we're only what 10 years or so away a little bit more than that maybe from over 50% of, of the female population in this country never married, never had kids. That's never happened before. So it's every policy that they push. Abortion. Every policy that they push is about reducing the number of children that are born. Reducing the population. So here's Kamala Harris going out there. When we invest in clean energy and electric vehicles and we reduce the population... 
More of our children can breathe clean air. I know, they're, they're trying to do cleanup. Oh, she misspoke. That didn't sound like a misspeak. White House is trying to say reduce pollution. Eh, sounds like a Freudian slip to me. No, no, we're trying to reduce pollution. Funny, Democrats don't really care about pollution. We keep talking about pollution. I had a whole conversation with, then at the time, Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid. I was like, why don't we focus on reducing pollution instead of the greenhouse gas emissions? He wasn't interested in hearing that conversation. Wasn't interested in it at all. They're not interested in pollution. They're interested in emissions, which are different. Very different. I just want to highlight just a couple of times that we've seen this before. March 22nd, this year, 2023, The Atlantic. The Methusians are back. Climate activists who worry that the world has too many people are joining an ugly tradition. That's The Atlantic. You can go back to 2020. Okay, this is Reason.com. Back in 2020, they talked about a paper from 2019 that was published in the journal Bioscience, and it was co-signed, folks, by 11,000 scientists. What did those 11,000 scientists sign on to? Reducing the population on Earth. At a bare minimum, stabilizing it, ideally gradually reducing the population. They completely question, and we've seen this endless amounts of times over the years, they question the morality of having children at all. You can poke through this. You can go through, if you just do a you know a Google search or whatever for climate activists, reduce population, you will run into a ton of so-called scientists or climate activists where they t- don't have babies, don't have children, do not... Do not grow the population. That's how you kill the planet, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So when Kamala Harris goes out there and says, oh, reduce the population, and they go, no, 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 she meant reduce pollution. Maybe, but it sounds to me like a Freudian slip. She didn't, like, understand that she even said anything wrong. So I suppose you can choose to believe the official White House narrative, the same White House that stealth edits out all sorts of gaffes by Joe Biden, I suppose you could believe what they're trying to say. That no, no, she was supposed to say pollution. Okay. But she didn't. And a whole lot of people applauded her, didn't they? Lots of applause there. They didn't know she was going to say pollution. They thought that she was going to say population because that's what she said, yet they applauded it. Yeah. <laughs> you have to wonder, okay? You have to wonder why everything they do seems to come back to reducing the number of people who live. Hmm. Uh, My audio still queued up? Yeah. Okay, I just... Here's Kamala Harris explaining AI, because i got to do at least one clip a week of Kamala Harris saying something stupid, because I don't have enough time to play all of it, but this is her explaining what AI is. And I think the first part of this issue that should be articulated is AI is kind of a fancy thing. It's, first of all, it's two letters. It means artificial intelligence. Mm. But mm-hmm. ultimately what it is, mm. is it's about machine learning. Mm. And so the machine is taught. Mm-hmm. And part of the issue here is what information is going into the machine mm-hmm. that will then determine 
and and we can predict then if we think about what machine what information is going in, what then yeah. will be produced in terms of decisions and opinions um, that may be made. Uh, do you remember when we had listeners call the show and ask me what AI was? Because they were older, they didn't know what AI was. They'd never been exposed to AI, and it took me like 13 seconds. Basically, it's just considered like an artificial brain. Learns on its own. That's. It isn't that difficult to explain AI in basic fundamentals. And why does she bounce every time she talks? You ever notice that? Go watch. She's sitting down in her chair. Go watch Kamala Harris talk. For those of you on the live stream, she's she's always doing this. AI is this. Eh, eh, eh. I don't know why. Why does she always feel the need to revert back to her her uh, her base mannerisms? Maybe it's what's comfortable for her. I don't know. Bouncing up and down like that. I, I, I maybe that's a normal thing for her. It is, after all, um, theoretically, a way that she got into the position that she's in. But she always does the, the whole bobbing thing. It's, it's, it's off-putting, but also easily explained. But it's I, why, why she continues to do it, I don't know. You would have thought that somebody would have reminded her not to, uh, not to act that way. <laughs> but she does. Got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel and the all-new MNC Nation. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel and the all-new MNC Nation. I'm your host, Casey Hendrickson. Got to tell you about MyPillow.com. By the way, MyPillow continues to be pleasantly surprised with uh, my audience's activity on their website. So thank you for that. The 20th anniversary limited edition MyPillow happening right now, $19.98. And again, this is um, this is like my pillow, but an upgrade. It's not quite my pillow 2.0, which you can still get a buy one get one on the my pillow 2.0. But the limited edition my pillow is now just nineteen dollars and ninety eight cents with promo code Casey at mypillow.com. Again, this is made with the patented interlocking fill. Uh, it is one hundred percent Giza cotton case. It adjusts to your exact individual needs. Has the sixty eight money back guarantee and the ten year warranty. And yes. It is machine washable and dryable, just like all other MyPillows are. And what makes MyPillow so different is that when you wash it, it comes out like a brand new pillow. It's not like the store-bought pillows that you wash it and then you dry it and it's forever ruined and lumpy. The MyPillows come out like they're brand new. So you get to clean all of the uh, dirts, oils, and everything else out of it, and you get basically a brand new pillow every time you wash the thing. It's one of the reasons I love my MyPillow. So go to MyPillow.com, use promo code Casey, pick up any of the specials that are there. My code unlocks them all. All right, uh, let's see here. Ran into this. I, I think this is this is interesting. This is a Real News Michiana article, um, and it deals with Sheriff Redman again. St. Joseph County Sheriff Bill Redman is calling for a drug rehabilitation center in Mishawaka to close his doors while at the same time pushing to keep a drug-addled homeless program operational in the city of South Bend. It turns out that the sheriff lives in the city of Mishawaka while he and his deputies are not responsible for anything that happens in South Bend. Again, um, you're, you're dealing with county versus city. According to an article in the Tribune, Redmond stated Praxis, an all-male drug and alcohol rehabilitation center run by Landmark Recovery, has endangered its residents and put an undue strain on law enforcement since the facility opened last August. Hey, does that sound familiar? That kind of sounds like that kind of sounds like motels for now in South Bend. 
I mean, we have somebody who's literally running for office right now. She had two people trying to break into her home that she had she had to chase off at gunpoint, for crying out loud. There have been multiple recent overdose deaths at the facility. However, at the same time, Sheriff Redmond has been calling for the Motels for Now homeless program in South Bend to remain open despite multiple overdoses and overdose deaths, along with thousands of other crimes. In January, Sheriff Redmond sent a letter to county officials advocating for criminals to not be arrested and instead be housed at motels for now, where they are terrorizing the surrounding neighborhood. Which is the same thing that Sheriff Redmond is accusing uh, Praxis of doing in his neighborhood. Weird, right? (laughs) So he lives in Mishawaki, doesn't want... He doesn't want this facility in Mishawaka because he lives there. Understandable, by the way. He's St. Joseph County. is a sheriff, so he doesn't deal with city issues in South Bend, so he's okay with the city one in South Bend being open. The reality is, is that he wants everybody housed to practice in Mishawaka to go to South Bend, so he doesn't have to deal with them in his own neighborhood. That's, that's what we're dealing with here. Uh, these individuals would otherwise be wandering the streets of St. Joseph County or be housed in the St. Joseph County Jail. Redmond stated in his letter, letting it be known that he does not want to arrest criminals in the community. Uh, being held in our jail is not the solution. So the public records request by Real News Michiana discovered that police were called to the Motels for Now program more than a 1,000 times since they opened in 2020. We've been over this data before. Police have responded 250 times from December of 2021 to December of 2022. The calls include everything from stabbings to overdoses, sexual assaults, and thefts. While a large number of the calls were for reporting unwanted persons, it is apparent that crime is a major issue with the program located at the Old Knights Inn on Lincoln Way West in South Bend. Now, we, again, um, we have talked about people who have been terrorized by the folks in that area because they're running around and they are they're breaking into people's homes uh people feel unsafe their kids are in that neighborhood and they they are not happy that motels for now is there there's no doubt about that and again understandably so not criticizing any of those people frankly i I completely get it i support them and while sheriff redmond doesn't want the same thing to happen in his neighborhood which frankly i understand but it is interesting that you've got this double standard right it's kind of like when you run into these Democrats who want to push, you know, solar power or they want to push wind power, but they don't want wind power or solar power to be anywhere near the house because they're unsightly and they take away from the atmosphere and looking at nature and things like that. It's like, where do you want them? Oh, you want them somewhere else and then you want to take credit for them. So it's kind of the same story here. You know, do as I say, not as I do do the things that I want you to do, but not in my neighborhood because I don't want them to ruin my neighborhood. At least the sheriff is acknowledging that this causes issues of safety and well-being in those areas. I just wish that he would be a little bit more consistent in saying, hey, the program in South Bend probably needs to go someplace else away from populated areas, and then you wouldn't have to worry about residents, you know, going to work and having their children confronted with people trying to break into their house who were not arrested, by the way. Did that story earlier. Got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel, and all new MNC Nation.
WTRC FM and HD1 Niles, South Bend, WTRC Elkhart Goshen, Michiana's News Channel, and the all-new MNC Nation. From the B Window Studios, 40 years and 80,000 families trust your home to the B. Casey Hendrickson. Good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel and the all-new MNC Nation. I'm your host, Casey Hendrickson. Don't forget, you can also check us out online at rumble.com slash Casey the host. Also streaming on Twitch and Kick if you are preferring to watch over there. I do want to thank R&B Car Company, locations in South Bend, Warsaw, Columbia City. R&B Car Company are your used car experts. You can find them online at rbcarcompany.com. Fox News is facing the consequences of falling into the woke abyss by being forced to begin company-wide layoffs, according to Headline USA. Among the ones who were fired from the corporate network were also the remaining former employees of Tucker Carlson, according to The Blaze. Uh, The original information about the development was shared by journalist and Carlson biographer Chadwick Moore on Friday, who published a screenshot of an email that informed employees of the, the impending action. Uh, See, Tucker's team at Fox was nine employees. Nine employees. I got to see if um, I got to see if Samantha's on that list. Samantha is. I hope she was spared. She's good. Uh, Tucker Carlson's remaining team at Fox News. Nine employees will be frog marched out of the building tonight at 9 p.m. HR will be waiting outside the control room when they finish tonight's show to escort the remaining producers outside. More wrote adding that one of the former Carlson producers called it degrading. The network ordered the recipients in the email to turn in all company equipment and their ID badges after they they, uh, finished filming the shows that they uh, used to be working on. Security will assist you in exiting the lobby turnstiles since you will have to have returned your ID badge. A little bit less than two hours ago, more reported about the upcoming layoffs of Fox News. Morale, miserable across teams, on both news and opinion, according to an unnamed producer. Uh, The producer also added that shows on the network were receiving frantic bipolar guidance almost daily on blacklisted and unblacklisted guests, including sitting members of the Senate. So Fox, Fox News is actually blacklisting members of the United States Senate? Wouldn't that be something if that was true? The news about the layoffs came out the same day as a highly anticipated presidential forum, which was moderated by Tucker Carlson, in which, again, Tucker Carlson, what did he do? He upstaged everybody. He upstaged everybody. You know, and and this was in partnership with Blaze Media. And Tucker Carlson is building a new media company, which I actually think is pretty positive going forward. I mean, if we can have all of these... Uh, conservative media companies able to work together on certain things. Wouldn't that be something as opposed to just descending into uh, total competitiveness? In additional news, uh, Ron DeSantis is considering Kim Reynolds as a running mate. Uh, Trump did kind of allude to running mates as well, but he didn't really nail it down to any specifics. He did an interview over the weekend and he highlighted uh, some, some possibilities, but didn't really nail it down. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis said Saturday that he would consider Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds as a potential running mate. 
should he win the nomination and dismiss former President Donald Trump's recent complaints about her as totally out of hand. Um, now, here's here's the thing, though. I, there's a couple of, of ways of looking at this, and just you know, from a political perspective, purely. Uh, Trump is concerned that Kim Reynolds is a potential running mate of DeSantis in Iowa, where she's proclaiming that she will be neutral in Iowa, yet she keeps appearing with DeSantis. And so Trump is questioning whether or not she's actually neutral. From DeSantis's perspective, he needs something to happen. He's not done well since the indictment. He was doing well before the indictment. He actually had a really good month before the indictment. He hasn't done well since Trump has been indicted. There's no doubt he's sliding in the polls. Trump is, is continuing to improve his lead. So DeSantis has to have something happen. If he were to win Iowa, that could be a big thing for him. So floating the idea of taking Iowa's governor with him to the White House could spur on a victory in Iowa. Then again, winning in Iowa doesn't mean you're going to win the nomination. In fact, more often than not, it means you won't win the nomination. But it is seen as a first hurdle for candidates to get over. So we will see um, whether or not that actually happens. But Reynolds is she's very popular in the state of Iowa. Uh, the GOP's base loves her. So Ron DeSantis could be trying to, you know, this could be a Hail Mary. Like, look, I, I yes, she might be my running mate. Let's try and win Iowa, kickstart the campaign again. Trump is like, how can she be unbiased if she's basically um, this guy's nominee as a running mate and she's appearing at events with him? With him? And so this is, this is politicking, no doubt about that. But keep an eye on that. That's it. It's an interesting strategy from uh, DeSantis's camp. If you take a look at the fundraising totals, though, Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis are dominating the fight for campaign cash in the Republican presidential contest. Uh, these are according to federal filings that were made public on Saturday. On the Democratic side, Joe Biden's re-election campaign, though behind Obama's re-election numbers, are sufficient. But Democratic primary opponent Robert Kennedy Jr. also raised enough money to ensure that he won't be ignored. The federal reports offer several insights six months before the first primary votes are cast. While Trump is leading most polls, he and DeSantis are in a tier of their own on the fundraising front. Trump's uh, team recently confirmed that his joint fundraising operation, which splits money between Trump's campaign and the Save America PAC, received $35 million in the second quarter. Overall, Trump's campaign reported more than $22.5 million in the bank. That's as of June 30th. Okay, it's cash on hand. The average donation to the former president's campaign now stands at just $34. Now, why is that important? means grassroots people are giving him money again. You know, Obama basically showed everybody in Washington, D.C. that if you get the average person out there to give you money in small quantities, but you get more of those people to do it, you will outraise your, your competitors. The average donation to Donald Trump is only 34 bucks. You know, that's you money, that's me money, that's Amelia money, that's, you know, that's just your average person. You realize it would cost you more to go to McDonald's if you have a family of four? Think about that. If you have a family of four and you go to McDonald's and, and you get value meals, okay, you'll spend more money than 34 bucks. So that's, that's your average grassroots voter right there. 
Meanwhile, DeSantis raised more than $20 million for the first six weeks that he was in the race. Uh, while a massive sum, the Florida governor also burned through nearly $8 million over the same period, leaving his campaign with just $12.2 million at the end of June. So Trump's got $10 more million in the bank than DeSantis has. DeSantis' report also shows a significant reliance on high-dollar donors who won't be able to give any more money to his campaign. Now, that is concerning. Like I said, there's a lot of issues with DeSantis' campaign right now that he's got to address. Despite the potential warning signs, DeSantis' uh, allied super PAC said that it raised a stunning $130 million since the committee launched in March. More than half of that comes from state-level political committee once controlled by DeSantis. That's huge. DeSantis's fundraising will bury will excuse me will buy him some time to strengthen his candidacy as he tries to catch Trump in the polls. I do kind of wonder DeSantis I think is looking for a win in Iowa just so he shows he's legitimate and that he's a contender even though historically winning in Iowa doesn't really do anything for you. Um but what it will do is it will get everybody else out of the race. The, the point the point is to try and get as many people to drop out of the race as possible. Hopefully that happens before Super Tuesday, and then it comes down to, okay, we don't have this big field. We just have Trump and DeSantis now. Let's let's go. And I think that he's just trying to get to that point at this, this point in time. Uh, what else do we have here? Former United Nations Ambassador Nikki Haley, Senator Tim Scott, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, and, and uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, former businessman, announced in recent days, that they had reached the 40,000 donor threshold for the debates. Pence has yet to make such an announcement. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if Pence even gets there, considering what happened to him uh, on Friday. Biden and the Democratic National Committee have raised $72 million for his reelection in 10 weeks. Uh, since he announced his candidacy, Biden's fundraising total includes donations from his campaign and to a network of joint fundraising arrangements with the national and state parties. While sufficient, it is well behind Obama's totals for his lackluster re-election bid. Obama raised $85.6 million during the April to June quarter in 2011. Uh, and again, I, is this really meaningful? No, just giving you some, some numbers. Uh, let's see. RFK Jr. is picking up steam. Uh, Kennedy, though unpopular with the Democratic Party establishment and the media, has raised enough money to ensure that he won't be ignored completely. His campaign has raised about $6.4 million for the quarter. He's got $4.5 million in the bank as of June 30th. The pro-Kennedy Super PAC, meanwhile, said that it has raised more than $10 million so far. I mean, that would mean that he's basically got $14.5 million in the bank. Now, to put that in perspective, that would mean that RFK Jr. has more money in the bank than Ron DeSantis, although that's not counting Ron DeSantis' pack. Okay? So this is a it's a legitimate dollar sum. It will be interesting to see how much the Democrats can ignore uh, Kennedy going forward because he is raising money. And, by the way, for you Democrats out there, uh, who are like, oh, nobody's taking him seriously. He's polling in double digits. He's not a single-digit candidate. He's, he doesn't have 1% or 2% of the Democratic vote. The guy's got double-digit support among Democrats. 
And the Democrats are not thrilled about Joe Biden being around. They certainly don't want Kamala around. So, you know, is this going to hurt him in a general election? Probably not. But it is certainly interesting to watch this happen um, with the, the Democrats. So now here's where things get interesting. We're going to talk about the lesser known Republican candidates because they're all trying to follow the RNC rules to get to the debate. And that means you have to have 40,000 donors across the country. So some interesting things have happened. Now, we did talk about uh, Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, Chris Christie, and Vivek Ramaswamy. They all have the 40,000 donor threshold to go to the debate. Many other candidates, including our former governor, Mike Pence, the former vice president, have not met that threshold yet. So what are some of these lesser-known Republican candidates doing to bribe donors in order to get onto the debate stage? We'll talk about that next on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's news channel in the all-new MNC Nation. Now, I want to address something real quick that came up on the live stream. Just because it came up over the weekend on social media, on Twitter in particular, um, you know, a lot of people are like, why didn't Trump do the candidate forum thing? Because he doesn't need to. And I know that you've heard me say this, not just in this election cycle, but routinely throughout the years. So this is Politics 101. And it has been adorable watching people who don't know anything about politics, who are new to the game, try to argue with me on Twitter and, and elsewhere that this this isn't Politics 101. Like, no, no, people want to see Trump. No, that's not what this is about. So this is how you politic when it comes to the polls, okay? If you have a huge lead... You do not debate your opponent. You don't show up at the candidate forums. You don't do it. You'll do interviews. You'll do events. You'll do campaign events and things like that. But you don't do anything that puts you in the crosshairs of anybody that could damage your campaign. Because you already have a massive lead. Right now, you're the de facto leader. Donald Trump is in that position right now. It doesn't benefit him to show up at the Blaze candidate forum and to talk with Tucker Carlson. It doesn't benefit him to do some of these other forums in Iowa. None of that makes any sense. It's a liability. Donald Trump can do his own thing, and until a candidate emerges to challenge him, DeSantis is in the best position, but DeSantis is not in a position yet. Until a candidate emerges to challenge him, it's best for him to ignore them. Because if he engages and he has a misstep, He's providing them with an opportunity to gain momentum. He's providing them an opportunity to hurt his campaign. So if you have a big lead, you literally are hands off. You're like, nope, I'm just going to do my own thing. When one of you gets momentum or one of you emerges as my competitor, then I'll focus on you. Until then, I'm going to be over here and you'll be over there. And it is this is the playbook. The person who's way out in front doesn't debate. They don't do events with their opponents. They barely acknowledge their opponents. You play like you have the lead because you have the lead. And then what your opponent is supposed to do is now tell everybody, he's scared to talk about the issues. He's scared to show up. Where is he? He's ignoring you. He's ignoring He's ignoring the country and its problems. Okay, that's always the playbook. I've been in this business for over 18 years. I have never seen... Anybody successfully take a big lead and engage this early, and I've never seen it be a benefit to their campaign. I've seen it be a negative a couple of times, 
I've never seen it be a benefit. Whereas I have always seen the person with a big lead ignoring everybody else. I've always seen that benefit their campaign. So it doesn't make any sense. I know that you want to see Trump. I know that. I know that you want to see Trump talk with Tucker Carlson. I know that you want to see Trump engage with the other candidates, but it doesn't help him. So there's no reason for him to do it yet. There will come a time when he will have to. But right now, doesn't benefit him in any way. That's why you're not seeing it. Okay, It's not ducking. It's not dodging. It's not running scared or anything like that. It's not avoiding the issues. It's purely politics 101, campaign strategy 101. You will always see this. Remember when Jackie Wilarski had a major, major lead and she wouldn't debate her opponent and everybody was trying to make a big deal out of it? There was no reason for her to do it. She had massive double-digit leads. So she finally took a debate just so she could quiet the, the whole I don't debate thing. And where did she do it? She did it on a tiny little radio station in a tiny little town far, far away in her district that nobody heard. It was it was genius, actual genius. And I know that some of you didn't like it, but it was a it was a stroke of political mastery. She took away the talking point from her opponent. She gave them a debate, but nobody nobody saw it. Nobody heard it. It didn't hurt her in any way, and she won easily. It's again, it's politics 101, guys. I, I, I know that a lot of people don't want to hear that, but that is the truth. I got to tell you about Favors B Window right now. All products 40% off, plus $187 entry doors and $887 patio doors, and up to 20 months with no interest and no payments right now at Favors B Window. You can find them online at bwindow.com. You can set up your consultation, your appointment right there on the website bwindow.com. Do me a favor, let Favors B Window know that I sent you. We got more coming up Newstalk 953 Michiana's news channel and the all new MNC Nation. Good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel and the all-new MNC Nation. I'm your host, Casey Hendrickson. I do want to thank R&B Car Company, locations in South Bend, Warsaw, Columbia City. R&B Car Company are your used car experts. Okay, so let's get into the debate rules because the candidates on the Republican side are struggling to get onto the debate stage. Uh, it's not enough to just declare. You've got to earn a spot. When there's this many candidates, you have to earn a spot on the debate stage. Well, the rules that the RNC put in place are that you have to have at least 40,000 donors across the country. If you want to go to the debate in Milwaukee on August 23rd, you need to have at least 40,000 donors across the country. It doesn't matter what the dollar amount is. It doesn't matter how much money you've raised. It doesn't matter how much you're polling. You need to have 40,000 people that have given you money. So there's six weeks left until the first Republican debate. Lesser-known Republican candidates are finding creative ways to boost their donor numbers and ensure that they make it on stage. Now, again, uh, we've got Trump, we've got DeSantis, we've got Vivek, we've got um, uh, Nikki Haley. She's on there. Uh, Tim Scott is on there as well. I think that's everybody. They all have the number the number of donors needed. Okay. Biotech entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, who is quickly closing in on second place, contender Ron DeSantis in some polls, rolled out a plan to let people who raise money for his campaign actually keep 10% of what they take in from the donors. 
And he, he hit the threshold, by the way. So if you're going to go out there and you're going to fundraise for Vivek, you get to keep 10% of whatever you fundraise for. If you raise 100 bucks, you get 10 bucks. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's something, huh? Uh, North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum is offering $20 MasterCard or Visa gift cards in return for campaign donations of as little as a buck. So you can donate. You can donate to Doug Burgum. You can give him a dollar and you can get a $20 gift card. Not a bad deal for a guy that nobody even knows is in the race. You give the guy a dollar, he'll give you a $20 debit card. Uh, businessman Perry Johnson is offering copies of his book in exchange for donations. Uh, okay, I'm sure I'm sure that's a smash hit. The unusual efforts are in response to a Republican National Committee requirement that participants in the August 23 debate in Milwaukee raise money from at least 40,000 donors across the country. That's a tall task for some of the hopefuls who aren't as well known as former President Donald Trump or Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. And again, Mike Pence has not hit this threshold yet. At least it's not announced that he's hit the threshold yet. It's a uh, recognition of the make-it-or-break-it opportunity that the debate stage provides for lower-tier candidates in a large field who need media exposure to share their message and reach voters. Uh, Dan Weiner, an attorney who directs the far-left Brennan Center for Justice's Elections and Government Program, said unorthodox fundraising tactics are becoming more common, noting that candidates are trying new things with the knowledge that the Federal Election Commission could take action if legal or ethical concerns were raised. And again, offering people to keep 10% of the donations that they're giving to you, like Vivek did. I, I, look, I'm not an election law expert, folks, but that sure doesn't seem kosher. Uh, if you're, here's the thing. If you're donating to a political candidate, you have federal laws that go into place and in how much you can give that candidate. So if you're like, I really like Vivek, and I really want him to win, and I'm going to give the guy 50 bucks, and then somebody siphons 10% off of that, and it doesn't go to your candidate, I think you got a right to be upset about that. <laughs> even if even if the candidate himself has allowed people to do that because he's just trying to meet a, meet a threshold to get on the debate stage, which I think he'll probably do well on the debate stage because he has made it. Uh, so anyway... More often than not, these do at least sometimes raise questions about whether they're skirting at the edge of the law, Wiener said. In both instances, do I necessarily think that the FEC is going to do anything about it? Maybe, but it'd be, but I'd be a little bit skeptical. Look, the FEC will do something about it only if one of these candidates actually becomes the candidate. Then we will have a massive October surprise, a huge investigation, and the Republican who used very creative fundraising strategies to make sure that he got that 40,000 donor threshold to get on the first debate stage, then all of a sudden it'll be a major campaign issue. It won't be unless they become the candidate. On Monday, Ramaswamy, who launched his campaign with a $10 million infusion of his own cash and said that he surpassed the unique donor threshold in June, introduced the, the Vivek Kitchen Cabinet a plan that he said would democratize the fundraising process by letting fundraisers keep 10% of what they bring in for him. Why should it be some member of some managerial class that's a secreted, closeted group of fundraisers in the cloistered world of politics, he said. 
So he put the video up on Twitter, and he says it shouldn't be. So his position is, look, if you go out and find a friend to donate money, you keep 10% of that, and I'd rather you have it than some you know, political donation firm. I mean, he's not wrong, uh, <laughs> but, but does it pass the smell test? Nah, probably not. Is it illegal? I can't tell you that it is, folks. I it may not be. It very well may not be. Um, so yeah, you, you, this is what they're having to do here. And again, uh, is Pence doing anything? I don't know. Pence has big dollars that are willing to back him. The question is, does he have enough people willing to back him? I'm not. I'm not so sure if he has enough to get on the debate stage in Milwaukee. He hasn't made an announcement that he's meet, met that threshold yet. It'll be interesting to see if he meets that threshold after what happened to him last Friday when he got completely destroyed on stage. Well, I shouldn't say he got destroyed. He destroyed himself on stage with Tucker Carlson. So it'll be interesting to see if if Mike Pence can actually get 40,000 people to donate to him. Um, I don't know what the population of Indiana is. Maybe Amelia could look it up during the, uh, the break. But I'm pretty sure that Indiana has more than 40,000 people. And so if Mike Pence can't get 40,000 people to donate to him, 6.8 there's 6.8 million people in Indiana. If 40,000 Hoosiers can't donate to the guy who used to be governor here, I'm just, I'm just saying if 40,000 Hoosiers don't donate to Mike Pence, it's, it's over. we got more coming up. 95.3 MNC and the all-new MNC Nation.